Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Consciousness Review. Today, we have two guests who have each taken a journey that moved them beyond their personal stories and painful past and profoundly changed their lives. Rana Prince is the writer and producer of Sacred Journey of the Heart, a documentary film about the science and spirit of our connection to each other. While Rana's goal with the film was to encourage viewers to make the connection to their hearts, in the process she found the way to heal and connect to her own heart through the transformative power of forgiveness. Our other guest is Kurt Kuntz, who took a different journey of the heart, which he described in his book, A Million Steps. He walked 500 miles across northern Spain on the route followed by pilgrims since medieval times to the Cathedral of Santiago de Compostela, where the remains of the the Apostle St. James are thought to be buried. Along the way, Kurt also navigates through his own personal history of addiction, recovery, and love, and he embraces the beauty of the countryside and joyful connections to other pilgrims from around the world. Rana and Kurt, welcome. I'm so delighted you could join us. Thanks. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here today. Thank you so much, Miriam. It's a, it's a pleasure and an honor to be on your program. Thank you. Well, first, let's talk about the start of your respective journeys. Rana, can you tell us a bit about your film, Sacred Journey of the Heart? What gave you the idea for it? Well, I have no background in filmmaking and just had what you suggested, an idea. I was working after a transformation about five years before from the world of corporate mergers and acquisitions banking. I was working as an intuitive spiritual counselor for, a number, for people. And I thought, why don't I you know, take advantage of these wonderful transformations I'm seeing in my clients and bring in a film crew and show how they change out there when they go on these wonderful trips with me if you're doing trips to uh, retreats to Sedona and other sacred sites. And, and uh, we decided to do a trip to Glastonbury and Stonehenge and film, film that. And so that was the origin of the project. And as you alluded to in your introduction, it turned out to be a great deal more about what was going inside of me than my clients. <laughs> well, that's quite a journey from mergers and acquisitions to intuitive counseling. Yes, it is. Uh, we'll, we'll have to explore that some other time, but that yes. sounds quite intriguing. Mm-hmm. Now, Kurt, you were a successful sales executive for a Fortune 500 technology company. You retired early. What drew you to adventure travel and made you decide to walk the Camino? What I found with, with previous experience on, on adventure travel Every time I've taken a journey, in, in most of the things that I would call a journey are, are trips that are between three and maybe even eight weeks long. Every time I've taken one, they turn out to be the best memories of my life, and I always tend to grow as a person. The Camino, I heard about it in 2008. I saw a movie about it in 2010, and uh, with very little notice in 2012, I, I bought a plane ticket, and three weeks later I was over there walking it. And what drew me to it was the idea that 
everything I was doing over there would be outside of my comfort zone. I'm in a foreign country. I'm sleeping in bunk beds with strangers. I don't speak the language. And believe it or not, uh, hiking is not really my sport. Um, so what I found in, in my previous experience is when I lean over the edge in these uncomfortable situations, that's where I grow as a person, and that's what I was hoping to do on the Camino. Mm-hmm. Now, Rana, uh, you are an instructor or a, a teacher of heart math, is that correct? Yes, I'm a certified both group trainer and individual coach of the heart math uh, practices, yes. Tell us about heart math and its relevance to your film. Well, it's the preeminent research institution in our country uh, in Northern California. I'm just coming back from five days of intense training with all the scientists there, and they've been exploring this for about 20 years, the connection between the heart and the brain. And as I went deeper into my own process of really opening my heart, I was literally like most people living in my mind and thinking if I just thought the right thoughts and did some affirmations and used the power of my brain, I could change my reality, and it just wasn't working. And so I wanted to highlight in the film that I think we're on the brink of a, of a huge shift in consciousness, that it's more about the heart than it is about what we can think in our minds, where we kind of get confused oftentimes. And so it became natural. Uh, uh, Greg Braden, who is um, in my film, was an early supporter, said, you, you need to go up there and talk to these folks. So when I interviewed them, it became a natural evolution in the process that I, I learned about the power of the heart and that the heart is really the central regulating system of the entire body, it has a much more powerful signal than anything coming from the brain. And so they were very generous in, um, in their support of the film and interviewing the lead scientist, Dr. Rollin McCready, and their, one of their educators, Dr. Deborah Rosman. And they, they provided all the scientific background for what turned out to be true, that the heart is where the action is, as Greg says in our film, once we learn to manage the power of our hearts. Our brains work all that much better, and we have the opportunity then to really shift what's going on on the inner world as well as the outer. Now, Kurt, you really took a kind of intuitive leap in onto the Camino, if you will. Um, and we were speaking earlier about some of your other travels where things had gone uh, wrong, but your your trip, uh, your pilgrimage, really, um, was almost uh, divinely uh, paved. The, the way was almost divinely paved for you. <laughs> um, and, and you were really being drawn by your heart to do this. Uh, describe your your sensations, your your emotions as the days rolled by. You know, Miriam, you, you, you just really hit it on the head there. When I left my home in Boise, Idaho, I left with zero expectations. I knew I was going to go to Spain, I was going to go on a long walk, and I was just going to let it be and see what happened. Very quickly, I found out that things just really worked out whether it was the perfect place to sleep or a perfect friend at a time or a, a nice meal, whatever it was, it just kind of serendipitously really seemed to gel together. 
as the days went on, I, I almost started feeling a little guilt saying things are going a little too well here. I mean, I think lightning's going to strike me or, or something bad may happen. And it never did. Then I built up a face of, wow, these good days seem to be continuing. And, and they really did from my entire month over there. It was just an incredible experience. I, what you referred to that we talked about a bit earlier, I took a similar trip through Europe on a bicycle in, uh, and I think it was 2006. And I rode my bike for six weeks across Europe, and I had nothing but headwinds and broken spokes and, and problems and hassles and headaches. And I was explaining that story to a fellow pilgrim as we're walking along the Camino, and he looked at me and he said, did you ever think it's you? <laughs> and uh, it, it, it just hit me. It hit me like a, a brick. Um, and, and it was really, it was really an eye opener. And I think it was me. I, I really believe that you, that you get back what you put out and it on the Camino, uh, it just, everything worked. It was great. Rona, um, you talk about the transformation that took place in you as you were making this film can you give us a, a sense of what was happening with you? Well, when I set out on my journey also, I, my idea was to present myself along with a, a lot of the other um, teachers and, you know, that are a lot of them very well known, that I was going to be in that company as an expert in my own film about transformation. You know, it's, it was partly motivated by my desire to get my work out there more. When the edits started coming back from the filmmaker after our trip to um, Glastonbury and Stonehenge, I looked at myself on camera, and I looked like a scared deer in the headlights. Here I am talking about <laughs> compassion and love and connection, and the only thing moving is my mouth, and my eyes look like, you know, I've just been a light shining them. And so I looked at that, and I said, you know, oh, my gosh, I, I'm not, I'm really not where I thought I was. I kind of had a suspicion, but I can't do, I can't be in my own film and, and be talking about the things that were important to me. And so all the production on the film stopped at the same time our director was diagnosed with cancer. So there was a lot of things coming back to us saying, this is about those of you working on the project, really authentically taking the journey to your own hearts. And that's when I, I do what I always do at those turning points. I said, you know, show me this, show me the next step, just the very next step. And that's when Colin Tipping and his process of radical forgiveness showed up in, in my life to take me deeper into my own heart in a safe way that had a beginning and a middle and an end. Unlike a lot of other processes I worked through that were kind of like not ongoing all the time. And so that really served as a, an important turning point, just seeing myself on camera saying, Hey, you know, the camera doesn't lie here. There's, I got some work to do. <laughs> when we talk about having work to do on ourselves, and all of us have a lot of work to do, um, Kurt, what were the things in your past that you needed somehow to get beyond? Oh, I think that we all have things in our past. I mean, I had when I left up for the trip, I was uh, I was at a crossroads uh, with my girlfriend, uh, the love of my life, and and we were we'd been dating for about four years, and we were in a pretty bad space. Um, I'd lost a, a good friend of mine about six months before the trip. My father died about ten years ago. Uh, I battled some alcohol quite some time ago, and I think we all have things in our past and. I don't know as though I really went on the trip to solve all of those things. Um, I, I tend to, to try to really be more in the now or, or forward-looking. Um, 
But uh, I certainly did have plenty of time to think about a lot of those things. And um, trying to think about, you know, a trip like this just provides some clarity. It, it really puts things in perspective. And for me, it built up a, a, a very large ledger of gratitude. Instead of focusing on the things that weren't working in my life, I really, as a result of the trip, began to focus on all the things that are working. And that list is a very, very long list. And you did also say the magic word, living in the now, uh, which you repeat quite often in your book. Um, you know, th th this whole concept of living in the now, I, I had a hard time really understanding what it was. And I'm telling you, the Camino teaches you exactly what it is. Every day when you wake up, you don't know where you're going to sleep, how far you're going to walk, what the weather's going to be like, and if your body's going to hold up through that whole time. In other words, everything is unknown. And in that state, you, you tend to be challenged. When you're challenged, you don't have time to think about yesterday or tomorrow. That is living in the now. You then spend 30 or 40 days walking 500 miles in that constant state of being present, being alive, being there, and you understand what it is. And one of the biggest gifts that trail gave me is, is the, reala the realization of what being in the now is. Mm. Yeah. Rona, what do you think was the most helpful um, uh, thought approach in being able to get to that state of forgiveness? And did it have anything to do with actually letting go of the past and being in the now? It, it really did for me, too, in a, in a nutshell, because I had been holding on to resentments from my childhood history of prolonged sexual abuse. And I'd been through many, many types of therapies, I'd say about 15 years of talk therapy and what I call an alphabet soup of all kinds of things that went from traditional like EMDR, eye, eye movement therapy, which is very well recognized, to EFT, to Psych K, and all kinds of things, all the way out to shamanic soul retrieval. And the thing that really made the difference for me was going through a step-by-step -step process to go into the emotions, as I learned from Colin Tipping, to feel, to feel what I was really feeling and to admit it. And that's why I really showed in the film, this is what it looks like from beginning to middle to end, because a lot of trauma survivors have a great and deep fear usually held in their hearts that if I start to experience some of this, I will never stop. It will never end, and they will, I will always be in this place of pain and suffering, and that's just not true. And uh, the process I went through, radical forgiveness, which was a reframing of the situation to see the opportunities that it's led me to, namely, among many, this movie, I really became very grateful for everything I've experienced, the challenges as well as the, uh, the gifts. And uh, it's, it's made a tremendous difference of pulling me out of rehashing the resentments of the past into the, this moment, which is also combining the power of heart math of being grateful right here, right now, for what's happening in my life. Mm. Kurt, uh, among the pilgrims that you spent time with uh, on the way, did you sense that they were working through uh, issues? What, was there any commonality in their motivations for walking the Camino? No, I don't think there was a commonality at all. I think that we each came there with our own uh, with our own suitcase of emotional baggage, if you will. And uh, I, I, there was there was really nothing common about it. But one of the beautiful things about it was 
I walked with people from all over the world, and they came in every age. The age, the age groups were from age two years old to 82 years old. And there was every size, shape, and color of any type of human you could imagine. So uh, just a, a big, broad swath of the world. When we started walking together, and this is a very unorganized walk. You, you just literally show up and walk. There's a bond that, that immediately forms with these pilgrims. It's, like, uh, it's almost like we became a, a very large family helping each other to walk home en route to the cathedral in Santiago. And many people shared their stories. Uh, some were, were, were wonderful stories of joy and happiness. Some were stories of, of sorrow and pain. And maybe just having the arena and, and the ability to share them, maybe that, that put them out in the universe or something. But as far as everybody coming to get over problem A, no. Um, but I would say every person that I walked with, which is thousands of people, every person went through some type of transformation, and the Camino de Santiago, de, de Santiago gives everyone what they need. Hmm. Uh, Rona, we all we all talk about uh, transformation. What do you understand by that term? Well, it's a transformation can be all kinds of things. I mean, you can you can have a transformation in in a habit. As as I talk with my clients, as simple as making a choice to get up and drink a glass of water in the morning before you do something, before you go in and have coffee. So it can be it ranges from simple as that to. The, the ultimate transformation I think we're all being called to experience is from any any place of victimization to empowerment. And and sometimes people ask me, well, what does it look like? I can tell you what it feels like. You know, I have a lot more peace and gratitude in my life. You can see the first two minutes of the film and where we juxtapose before how I was how I was looking and feeling and acting, and af- before I started doing this project and after. You can see that on YouTube also, Rana Prince before and after. It's really it's it, because it affects all of who you are, even even down to the, your physical um, appearance. I actually aged backwards, and we have some um, testing that we did that <laughs> looked at things like DHEA, the youth and vitality hormone that went up after I went through the process of forgiveness and heart math. So it's you know ultimately it's about ending any association we have uh, with the, the the victim archetype that something out there is happening to me. Uh, just as Kurt was saying, is even even if it's the environment and the headwind, you know we start to become empowered. And the wind, uh, the wind comes from our backs. I, I found when we are really empowered to create our own lives in, in a conscious way. Mm-hmm. And. The the heart the the connection that Kurt was describing with the pilgrims, it sounds to me like that's pretty much the kind of heart connection that you are talking about in the film, of of how we are all connected at the heart level. Is that a fair statement? That is, it really is a fair statement, and it's a, it's also more than just a, a concept and idea. As I found in producing the film, so much of what we know spiritually or energetically is now science is now proving so that that we're proving and we talk about in a very aha moment in the film for audiences that human emotion has a huge impact on the earth's electromagnetic field and it's not it's not random when when we when we pray for peace on international peace day there's spikes and there's reactions in the earth's electromagnetic field that the, the scientists are studying so we truly are connected and it's through the power of emotion 
energized through the heart. It's kind of interesting that it's almost like we're coming full circle from the days of the medieval pilgrims where there was a certainty about one's connection to nature and one's connection to the divinity. And then we kind of became estranged from that. And now science is actually bringing us back to that point. Um, just rather amusing. Uh, <laughs> Kurt, <laughs> any comment on that? Oh, on, on your last comment or on the idea of people coming together? I'm not sure what your question really was. Uh, either one. I guess for me, with the, the people coming together, one of the beautiful, one of the many beautiful experiences that happened to me on the trail was when you got there and you meet all these people from around the world, your background meant nothing. And when you stay in a hostel, there is no VIP section, and people don't have gold plated backpacks. So nobody was able to kind of define themselves by what they were before they came to the trail. The way that you were judged in the moment was how you treated other people. And with that comment there, I would say that the Camino was really an equalizer of people. And I've never been in an environment where everybody was so equal. Nobody appeared to be young or old. Nobody was religious or atheist. Nobody was rich or poor. We were just a big connected group of people with a common goal of walking to the cathedral. And that was a real enlightening, uh, wonderful, fulfilling moment for me to realize that. When you were in Stonehenge, Rana, um, and, and Glastonbury, uh, did you come across people who were effectively pilgrims? Well, it was, the whole trip was a pilgrimage, and that's why I love the, the connection of, between Kurt and myself on this journey. And, and a lot of pilgrims, pilgrimages start with initially a challenge. It's the hero's journey that, uh, that Robert Bly has described. And when we, when the plane took off from Phoenix, I'm from Phoenix, Arizona, and um, my a number of my cli- my clients and journey- pilgrims <laughs> that were on the journey and my film crew experienced their first challenge. The uh, airplane caught on fire on the tarmac, and they had to jump out <laughs> of the airplane literally, and then make a decision. You know, <laughs> so it was literally happened. I had made a decision to leave from Chicago, so I wasn't on that airplane because that wasn't part of my journey. But I had seven members of the of the crew and and uh, the group literally jumping off a burning airplane to start their trip, and they made it to Glastonbury, and they, they knew this trip was going to be about managing, as Curtis said, the unexpected. You know, I had one group member that was charged by a bull going up uh, Glastonbury Tour to St. Michael's Cathedral on top there. So it most definitely, wow. the, whole thing, the whole thing was about that, and we've had you know some journalists on our trip write about that experience that's available on my website about taking sacred journeys with the sacred journey of the heart Indeed. <laughs> Did you have any uh, such experiences, Kurt? Oh, there's there's all kinds of experiences. I mean, there, there's challenges that happen along that trail all the time, whether it be weather or, you know, availability of, of housing or coming across somebody in trauma and you know, it, it really, adver- I think that the Camino is really a, a, a metaphor for life. And 
adversity is there for a reason, just as Ron has said many times with her upbringing and, and some of the, the horrific things that happened to her. Had those things not happened, she would not be the person she is today. On the trail, the adversities that you that are put in front of you, they're just obstacles to climb over, and that's what life is. It's learning to get over them, move on, and, and keep keep marching. And that was kind of the awakening that I had before the Camino, but it it was a it was an it was a, a caffeine shot of adrenaline to to really open my eyes to it. Mm-hmm. How were you changed by it? How was I changed by the yeah. Camino? Oh yeah. my gosh! I, I would say it it really changed me as a as a person overall. Very transformative, and a couple of, of just quick examples. First off, it taught me to let go, and the way it taught me was you make friends all the time, and you then realize that everybody's walking at a different pace. And it dawned on me, I can't walk to Santiago and have 10 pilgrims under each arm. I'm going to have to let people come and go into my life. And I think that if you extrapolate beyond that, I think people do come into your life, they have a gift to share, or you share your gift with them. And after it's been effectively rendered, the the natural parting occurs. It allows that person to share their gift with another person, and it creates space in your life to receive from another person or for you to share with somebody else. Um, so the letting go portion was, uh, was really solidified to me just by learning to say goodbye to friends. Mm. And, Rana, I'd like to pose the same question to you. Um, how were you different after making that film and going through your process? Well, after making the film, I had really an ability to observe myself in a different way, and I think that's that's a big part of the process along a journey is to watch yourself and be more conscious and aware of your reactions. I used to live in the land of projection quite a bit, where anything that I didn't like, it was always about them out there, which I kind of emphasize those pronouns on purpose. But I, I really become aware that I, I'm creating this experience all around me all the time to reflect back within me places that I haven't yet um, really taken ownership of. So I, I live with a lot more gratitude and just peace in the moment, and I still have things that happen. You can't be in the world today with the increasing um, you know, electronic information age that we have and not be involved in, in, in things happening from out there. But instead of choosing to you know, put more cortisol, the stress hormone, into my body, I, I've learned the techniques from heart math, how to just breathe in and out through my heart and accept what's coming, acknowledge the feelings, not blow them off anymore, and, and make a conscious choice of how I'm going to be, what chemicals am I going to excrete literally into my own body. I thought, thought that was one of the most fantastic things in making this film is I get to choose what hormones I put, uh, I, I, I put into my own body, stress or revitalizing. And once you nice. know that, it's, yeah, you, really, you really are very, very empowered because I, I, you can do that all day long and, and just sit down and watch some mind-numbing television at the end of the day, or you can say all day long, I'm discharging the stress because it's going to come at, at us. <laughs> so I really feel you know, very, very empowered at this point in my life and and, and making choices. Sometimes I just kind of kick back and it builds up like with everybody. But most of the time I'm going, I, I get to choose now. Mm. I, I like that. I heard a, a tape one time about Deepak Chopra and he was on an airplane and the man next to him was, 
was imbibing quite a few cocktails and apparently offered one to Deepak, and Deepak said, that's okay, I make my own. <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly what I, I have. Another program, Part Math, is called Stop Emotional Eating, and that's what I'm um, licensed to help with my my clients who have any types of addictions. You can produce the chemicals that you get from reaching for substance out there with practicing the Heart Math te- techniques. You can increase your serotonin, your DHEA, by just using the power of your own heart. And the people who really do it, they they have great success. Rana, give us an example of a heart math technique. Well, the one that most people uh, that have any awareness of heart math are familiar with is called quick coherence. And coherence is a biophysiological or psychophysiological state that Im- impacts both our mental and our, our, our mental faculties as well as our emotions in our body. It's a it's a three step process, and the first step is just heart focus, and so we focus on the area in the spot in the center of the chest. And, um, and then we imagine we're breathing. Heart breathing is step two. We're imagining that we're breathing through the heart center. And some people actually develop a sensitivity to this as if their heart is actually breathing. And then the third step, which is really important, is we bring in a renewing feeling, a renewing emotion that allows us to rebuild our battery, our internal reserve, if you will. And that's usually for most people gratitude or appreciation. And, if we, and we start to slow our breath down a little bit, five seconds on the in-breath and five seconds on the out-breath. And just doing this simple technique, you start to balance the autonomic nervous system, the two branches of the nervous system which have to do with fight, flight, or fright, or rest, digest, and repair. And that's what coherence is about, an optimal physiological state that allows us to be in a state of balance so that the brain can send clear, the heart can send clear signals to the brain. And as we say in the movie, the research scientists say, it's 80 to 90% of the information that goes from heart to brain. It's not even a close call. Uh, the brain only sends about 10 to 15, 20% of information down to the body to say what to do. The heart is the central regulating organ, and that's a scientific fact. Hmm. Kurt, I'm reminded of some of the uh, descriptions in your book of setting out while it's still dark and then coming to the crest of a hill and seeing the sunrise. Um, boy, if that's not heart coherence, I don't know what is. Oh, very much uh, the case. You know, just it was fun for me in the mornings. A lot of times I would leave pretty early and you have to use a little headlamp. Um, and finding the trail was relatively easy. Every day when that sun would come up, oh, my gosh, it would just – the anticipation of just, you know, heat returning to your body and the beauty of, of watching everything illuminate in front of you. It's just a, a, a moment to be savored every day. And you really get a, a, a you're, you're, you're more connected with nature and, and you're, you're, you're part of it. And that really brings up that spiritual concept of, of being connected and very, very enjoyable. Mm. Do either of you have questions for the other? You know, uh, I, I, I'm curious, how long did it take you to make the film? Well, that's an excellent question, Kurt, because it's, uh, you know, not having any background in filmmaking and then having to kind of go on hiatus into my own journey, obviously you, you would not be surprised at the answer that it took three years to make this film, three years of, uh, you know, just going on, being on the journey 
of you know becoming a filmmaker and more importantly than that finding my own um heart space and and my own authentic presence in the film and, and the reason I, I went through such transformation we had to re uh refilm every single scene of mine in the film because I was so different oh. afterwards. So that was that was part of it. And then, you know, our director um, went through his journey of healing from cancer, which he did, and we went on together as an intact team to complete the film. So that's a great question. And, and I, I, I went to your, you know, before the interview here, I went to your website and spent some time on it today. It's a great website, and I look forward to watching the movie. It looks like an exceptional piece of work. Well, it's, I'm very happy about what we've been able to do. We won uh, Best Documentary Film in Jakarta, Indonesia last Friday, so we're we're really spreading the word internationally now. And um, I, Kurt, I'd like to know from you, uh, as a as a hopeful pilgrim on the Santiago Trail, I'm actually sitting here looking at Shirley MacLaine's book about the Camino. Going, <laughs> I have that in my in my list of my bucket list. Literally, I, I heard you talk about you just got your ticket and you went. Is that what you recommend? Not to overthink this this particular journey, or is there anything I could do to prepare? Well, it, 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 everybody, the, the trip works different for different people. I mean, that's the way I kind of live my life. I, I don't, I don't tend to overthink things. And and again, I think the best thing I did, I went on this trip without expectation, and and that is the key to going on a journey. If you go and you think you're going to find an answer, you'll never find it. If you go seeking nothing, you'll find everything. And with that in mind, that's what works for me. There's no right or wrong way to walk the Camino. I I met people that had 15-year fantasies of walking this trail and 15 years of preparation. And that was their journey and that was their trip. So it's more of how it works for you as an individual person. For me, it was a pretty neat experience. I I knew that at some point in time in my life I was going to walk the trail. Everything kind of, uh, the the, the sea parted ways, if you will, in August of 2012. I bought a plane ticket, and three weeks later I was over there walking. When I bought the plane ticket, I didn't have a pack or shoes. And a beautiful thing about this trip is it's a minimalist trip. You you carry all of your material possessions on your back, and uh, uh, as you can imagine, with weight being an issue, you don't take anything you don't need. And my pack actually weighed 22 pounds. I think I had three pairs of socks, three underwear, a couple of shirts, um, just a, a very limited number of things. One of the things I left behind that was a great thing to leave behind was my phone. And I was able to get on the Internet in some of the villages, but the idea of being, you know, electronically tethered was, was, it was nice to get rid of that. And if you need to be, you can carry a phone, and there's Wi-Fi is pretty readily available, but I chose not to, and that was a, a liberating feature. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> a brave man to leave the phone. So, Rona, where are you going from here? Well, as I mentioned, we're taking the film uh, to an international stage now, and that's happening. In oh, congratulations on the award, by the way. Yeah, it's, it's been nice to be recognized in a 10-day in a film festival. Many festivals are only two or three days. and um, it, So we're, we're, going to, we're being represented now in Berlin and Cannes, and I hope to have a, a southern hemisphere. I call Jakarta the equator. <laughs> so uh, in the southern hemisphere in Australia in 
the first quarter of 2014. So it's really about just championing, championing the message and continuing to spread the word that, you know, we, we can really shift from any situation in the past, which is, you know, I'm, I'm a good example of that. We can shift from the victim role into seeing the bigger picture and making a difference on, on the, in the world. I know right now it's a particularly intense time for a lot of people who are aware that we're at a, a, a solar maximum. Every 11, 12 years we have a maximum in the solar flare activity, and this is also researched by the Institute of Heart Math. It's a time that, that uh, since all the way back to the mid-1700s, we've overlaid the human data of intense wars, stock, stock market crashes, as well as the flourishing of human creativity. And so if people are feeling really intensely charged up and, and, and urged to do something, I'm always encouraging people, you know, take this time of sort of chaos and change and transformation and find how you can turn that into a creative e expression of your, bi your big dream and vision because this is proven. It's another proven thing HeartMath talks about. This is a time of great expansion. So it, it doesn't surprise me that people, like Kurt goes on a journey and within a few months has a book out there and is, is talking about it because it's, this is the time. You know, we're being charged up by a lot of things and scientifically proven that give us an opportunity to expand right now. Kurt, you mentioned that the book almost wrote itself. It was really, it, the book poured out of me. Um, when I went on the trail, I, I, I mean, I told you, I've said it six times, your listeners are probably tired of hearing it. I had no expectations. Halfway through the trip, a young man asked me uh, at the top of a mountain as we're watching a sunrise, he goes, how do you go home and explain what's happening to all of us? How do you, how do you put this into words? And the switch went off in my head, and I looked down at him, and I said, I'm not sure, but I'm going to go home, and I'm going to write a book, and I'm going to try to write it in a manner so that people can feel as if they're in my shoes, my head, and my heart for the entire trip. And when I came home, you know, uh, to a lot of people, arriving in Santiago is the end of the road. It's the end of the journey. For me, it was just the beginning. I, I came home, and I, I, I sat in my home office in Boise, and I typed for six or seven hours a day, seven days a week for seven or eight months. And I just relived it, and I thought of all the moments, and I, I put it all down on paper, and it really did pour out. I then found an exceptional editor, and she helped me really piece it together, and we worked well together, and that was great. Well, as soon as the book was done, I thought that may be the end, and that wasn't the end at all either. This, this journey is almost never-ending. And what happened next is I had to start marketing. So I started doing a lot of public speaking and talking about the trip, and I've now been invited to programs like this and some television and um, some print media and book clubs and different events here and there. And just like the trail in Santiago where I, I kept meeting all these new people, I feel now like people are almost paratrooping out of the sky into my life, and, and each one of them is, is a new experience, and it's, it's just a never-ending journey. Prior to this trip, with my business background, I would have been a little more focused on what's the speaking fee, how many books can I sell, what's my margin, and all that kind of stuff. It's gone from my head now. I have a message I feel compelled to spread. I feel I found my purpose, and the economics will take care of themselves. And uh, it's, a, it's a nice way to 
a nice way to approach it. And if this book's meant to be well-read, it will be. If I'm meant to speak everywhere, I will be. And if neither of those things are meant to be, uh, my journey will take a U-turn and I'll, I'll go in a different direction. Rona, that sounds a, a little bit uh, like your trajectory. It is. I think we learn as, as pilgrims on, on the journey, which we all are, that it, there's that you waste a lot of effort and energy in trying to push things forward. And, and I've just released this to the universe and said, if it's meant to be, it will happen. Uh, I have other a couple other film projects that I'm interested in doing, and I've received some initial uh, funding for that. So, you know, well, it's always about you know, being content with where I am and then just watch how, how things coalesce. This, this project came about without any, um, any sort of investment infrastructure. I just asked my clients, Here, here's a project I'd like to do. I set up some, some levels of participation, and within five days I raised $125,000 to kick off my film project. I got IRS approval for my nonprofit in less than 60 days, which was unheard of. And so you see those things as, you know, I didn't, that there wasn't a big effort. It was just a green light. And, and we learn as a pilgrims on this journey to just go where the, where the easiest path, you know, go down the trails that other people have walked before and sometimes striking out on our own path. And uh, one of the main things I consider on the next step or two ahead is, am I pushing, am I forcing, or, or am I just allowing myself to follow that next step and that next step and um, and just see what happens. And it's a lot easier to do it that way, I found. <laughs> it's interesting. Esther Hicks, who channels um, Abraham, talks about swimming upstream versus swimming downstream with the flow. And it sounds like you both have, have discovered your stream, respective streams and are definitely in your own flow. I'm, I'm telling you, I could not, I've never worked on anything in my life that has been round pegs and round holes. My editor fell out of the sky. It turned out that her daughter had walked the trail, um, what was it, almost a year ago. I needed to find somebody who does book covers. I found a man who lives about 25 miles away from my house who's employed by one of New York's largest publishing houses as a contractor, and he spits out covers right and left, and he fell into my lap. I needed somebody to help me to develop a website. Boom, that person appeared. And everything just, it all just works. And one of the other lessons I, I really learned, and I think that Ron has also stated very well, we all try to control so many things. The only thing you control is your reaction to the situation. So as I've come back from the Camino, I really have tried to align myself with what's going to happen as opposed to feebly attempting to control what's going to happen. And it's just such a better ride. <laughs> you, you, you float on air instead of constantly bashing into rocks and being jarred and thrown around. But sometimes our biggest challenge is, is trusting that process, trusting ourselves. Well, what were you going to say, Rana? Well, I, I found the, the same thing as long, and it really, for me now, comes down to the heart, because if I try to figure these things out with my mind, it's improbable, and I would probably have thwarted many things that just naturally unfolded. A good example is we have Dr. Joe Dispenza in our film, and many people know that he's a, a very beloved figure from the film, the, the groundbreaking film, uh, What the Bleep. 
so I had asked him if he would be participate in our film, and it was just a matter. After he said yes, and all he had to do was hear the title, he said yes, I'd love to participate. And it became a matter of scheduling him in, in, in the process. He's, a, he's internationally renowned, and he's traveling the globe with his own message. I received a, an email from his assistant on a Thursday afternoon, and I was teaching a workshop in Des Moines, Iowa, where I'm from, so it meant a lot to me. And she said, Dr. Joe can be filmed and interviewed on Friday evening up in the north suburbs of Chicago. I didn't know of any film crew in Chicago. I had no idea. If my mind was trying to lead the process, I would have said, too short notice. I can't do it. What I did was I called my director and I said, could you, do you know anyone in Chicago? He said, nope, I'll, uh, but I'll get back to you. In a couple minutes, he gave me two names. Ned Miller was the first one, and I liked the name of that guy, the sound of his name. So I called Ned. He answered after the second ring, and I was describing him what I needed to do in two days' time, and he was enthralled by the project, and he said, but I can't go because I have a ticket for an event that I really want to be at, and it's non-refundable. And I said, well, Ned, would that happen to be Dr. Joe Dispenza's lecture up in Northbrook, Chicago? And guess what he said? <laughs> wow. <laughs> he said, yes, it is. I'm already there. All I've got to do is put my camera in the car, and I got my, uh, you know, uh, my film producer, a co-partner who's in the other western suburbs to go up and do the interview. If I had tried, if I went from my mind about this, it never would have happened. But when you come from your heart and you just open to the possibility without limiting what you think can be done, all kinds of miracles can happen like that. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a great story. Yeah, <laughs> and it's true. So it's uh, oh, I'm it's sure really it is. Yeah, yeah, it was, it's really fun, and and you know we didn't. He just picked out two names going on the internet, and I liked Ned's the sound of his name, and Ned went on to film mm. some other things for us. So that that's about trusting and and really coming from the heart and not trying to figure it out. You know, Miriam, on that whole idea of trust in 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 your future and this and that, when I was over there walking on that trail, I really. I stopped worrying about things, and everything just worked out fine. And I found that the more I stopped worrying, the better things worked out. So after coming home the trip, I, I really made a goal to figure out how can I get rid of worry from my life. And I'm sure everybody's now laughing and going, wow, how do you do that? What I did, the first thing that I did, I got a blank piece of paper. And I wrote down all of the things that I really worry about. And I came up with a list of 12 items. I was then able to cross eight of them off immediately, realizing they're completely beyond my control. So if they're beyond my control, why am I going to waste precious time and energy that takes away from the now to worry about those things? So I crossed those off the list. And I ended up with these three items. Then I looked at the other side, and it's what are you thankful for? What's going right? What's working? You start to make that list, and you start from the most basic area of I have feet, I have legs, I have air, I have love, I have family, I have food, shelter, whatever it is. Your list of gratitude goes on forever. The second portion of the equation for me was to figure out what else causes me to worry. Prior to this trip, I was quite a cable news junkie. And I actually watch both Fox and MSNBC, which puts me into the total insane <laughs> category of, of all times. I thought something at fair and balanced would be in the middle of, of watching both of them together, and it doesn't work. But coming home, 
I unplugged it. And I've been home for, I don't think it's been 13 months now. I've not watched one minute of cable news. And it's, it's glorious. It's great. And I'm not advocating that people put their head in the sand and don't pay attention to what's happening. You can find out what's happening by spending five minutes on the Internet looking at the headlines of the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, whatever you, you want. You're then informed of what's happening. But instead of having a babblehead telling you what to think and putting fear into your head and, and all that, it's, it's, it's pleasant. You know, I, was, I did an interview in Oakland the other day. And before the interview, I was at a gym, and the gym had these large televisions up there. It was the first time I'd seen a cable news program forever. And I, I had the, the headphones in my ear, but I was able to watch the screen. It was depressing. Uh, you know, the, the glorious man Nelson Mandela's death was flashed on the screen very appropriately, but it was sad. After that, I saw riots in a soccer field in Brazil for, for whatever's happening down there. Then I saw slabs of ice falling off a building in Detroit, smashing into cars. It was like, I then looked outside in the street, and the sky was blue, and people looked happy and were smiling, and um, I'm telling you, this news is, is not a good thing. <laughs> well, Rona, Rona, what would you like to most leave with our listeners? Well, the, the theme we present in the film Sacred Journey of the Heart is three-part, and I like to keep it simple for people. And it's, and it's dive in, tune in, and lighten up. So many people are reluctant to go on a, a true heart-based journey because they're afraid of what they're going to encounter. And what we do encounter, whatever it is, gives us the, the real stuff that life is made of, the memories that, that Kurt was talking about, the, the people that we meet along the way that we would never encounter when we live from the places of being afraid of having that journey. As, as Dr. Joe Dispenza says, sometimes we, we put our... Or we start out on the journey and we become afraid and we run around, we turn around and run back home and say, whew, I almost had an, I almost had an adventure. <laughs> you know, when you, when you dive into the real stuff that life is made of, going out of the ordinary or diving into the ordinary experiences without fear, we really have the opportunity to tune into what's within and then as a result lighten up. And I love what Kurt said about, you know, being on the Camino with just the essentials. And, you know, we have lots of stuff in our life, but the, the true heart-based journey is, you know, what's essential, what matters most, the connections we have to people, the quality of our inner relationships. So I, I encourage people to really, you know, dive into their own heart-based journey, whatever it is, if it's with Kurt's book or with my film, to, to really deeply engage in the stuff that life is made of. So lighten, lighten up both your load and your spirit. Very exactly. Good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> And Kurt, what would you like to leave with our listeners? Well, mine is, is pretty similar. I, I read a book a long time ago, and another one of these aha moments. The book said, if you want to know what's going to happen in your life in the next 30 days, just fire the fortune teller, because all you have to do is take a look what happened in the previous 30 days of your life, and it's likely to repeat over and over and over. And if you think about it, think about the food you eat. You most likely, if you do your own shopping, you buy the same items at the grocery store. Well, guess what? Over a 30-day period, we all eat almost the exact same food. And I would challenge you, who, who's gone to Chili's and had more than three different items in their life there? And with that, we all get so stuck in these patterns 
that I think it makes us dull, and we, we sleepwalk through life. When you step outside of your comfort zone and you do things in a different manner, it wakes you back up, and it's like you, you, you take control of the yoke and fly the plane again, and that's where life occurs. So my advice to everybody is whatever you're doing, do something different. When I speak, people often say, well, that's great you did the Camino. I can't afford it. I, um, I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. I, I don't have this and that. I say, look, a Camino happens in many ways. You can take Camino by driving home a different route from work. You can go to a bookstore and you can purchase a cookbook and make what's on page 39 for dinner tonight. That's a Camino. Just do something different that you didn't do yesterday, and you'll find that your life will open up and blossom. Well, spiritual adventures adventure from two adventurers of the spirit. Well, we've been speaking to Rana Prince, the producer and writer of Sacred Journey of the Heart a documentary, and with Kurt Kuntz, the author of A Million Steps. Rana and Kurt, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Miriam. It's been been a pleasure. Thank you, Miriam, and, and thank you, Rana. It's very nice to meet you, and uh, I, I just really feel grateful to be on this program. Be sure to visit our website, ncreview.com, where you can learn all about Rona's film and Kurt's book. And now we're going to close with our track of the week, It's called A Time for Joy, a great message and a beautiful song from Sue Hodge. It's time for joy. It's time for joy. Keep the home fires burning. Come to the hearth in prayer, heart to heart. I hear what I hear, keep my ear to the ground. It's time for joy. So many roads, so many choices, so many souls. So many voices When it's hard to listen When it's hard to hear I just sit myself down And I find you near It's time for joy It's time for joy It's time for joy It's time Let the past fall away With the mountains behind me My heart reaches out Like a golden prairie sun rises high before moving on and the ground reaches out and gathers it home that was time for joy by musician storyteller sound healer the lovely sue hodge 
You can find out more about Sue's music at soundtouch.ca. Sue is a member of the Positive Music Association. Their website is positivemusicassociation.com. Well, that's our show for today. I do hope you'll join us next week. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. It's time for joy. It's time for joy. It's time for joy. It's time for joy.